Ponce, the founder of Trapital. Our guest today is music executive Matthew Knowles. He's the founder of Music World Entertainment, where he's managed a number of big name artists, including his daughters, Beyonce and Solange. And with that, I'd like to welcome Matthew to the podcast. Welcome. Hey, Dan. How are you today? I'm good. How's it going on your end? Well, I, uh, my wife and I just got to New York, just checked into the hotel. We'll be here for a week, so I uh, look forward to being in the NYC. That's great. How our conversation uh, came about is I wrote an article back in April about Beyonce and her streaming strategy. It was right after Netflix had released the Coachella documentary, Homecoming, and a lot of people were wondering why would Beyonce release her documentary on Netflix when she already has this existing partnership with Tidal and her comments that she's made on Spotify in the past. A lot of people had questions about how she looks at each of these streaming services. And I had an initial breakdown in the article that I've written and how I think that Beyonce has casual fans and something like Netflix is why that can attract them. And then you have your more casual members of the Beehive that would be more willing to listen to her on a platform like Spotify or Apple Music. But then you have your diehard Beehive. And these are the folks that will subscribe to Tidal and may um, purchase Lemonade and look at a few other uh, options there as well. So I'm curious from your perspective and your knowledge of Beyonce's strategy and your experience what are your thoughts on how she looks at each of the specific streaming services and how that fits into her strategy? Well, I, I think, uh, Dan, you actually nailed it, quite frankly. I, you know, we've always have been strategic in the way that we build audience, going even back to Destiny's Child when each one of the members uh, did solo albums in between Destiny's Child albums. Uh, that was a different audience. Destiny Shaw is a different audience than Michelle Williams, who had a gospel audience, or uh, Kelly, who internationally, especially in Australia and, and Europe, uh, and Beyonce. That's all about build, building office and uh, audience and being very specific and strategic. So that's what I see looking from the outside, looking in, is that she's just being very, very strategic and realizes that the world with 7.5 billion people is much larger than just the beehive and on that note actually speaking about the beehive it has come into a number of topics recently about this concept of stand culture if you saw the finals game a couple days ago but there was someone that had leaned over to ask jay-z for a drink and that person was saw the response on social media to people in the beehive a couple of weeks earlier, Dionne Warwick had actually mentioned that she didn't feel like Beyonce was an icon yet, and a number of people had responded to her similarly. And a lot of these things may be in jest with B emojis that are posted on Instagram accounts, but it has brought up this topic. What are your thoughts on that level of fandom and how it can both help artists, but give artists something to think about how best that can be managed? Yeah, I, I, I certainly, with anyone, don't condone anyone threatening anyone's life uh, or threatening in any way. And, and I know my daughter well enough to know she would never condone somebody threatening someone. Um, I think that's where you cross the line. It's it's great to be a, a avid fan, 
but it's something else when you you cross the line of of something uh, actually that can be looked at as uh, illegal. Uh, so I, I I look at that from a, a different point of view. Do you think there's anything that Beyonce or any other artist that is in the position where they know this is happening within their fan base? Do you think there's anything that they can do on their ends? Well, I think it's up to the individual uh, how they manage that and how their team manages that. Uh, and I, again, I, I just think that's a call that each artist or each individual makes. Uh, I've certainly never have felt threatened by uh, the beehive or anything. Uh, and, and, you know, from a, a grown-up's perspective, uh, I just, you know, I just don't follow that kind of stuff. On a lighter note, one thing I did want to get your perspective on is Solange. And I think she did something interesting with this last album. She revitalized a page on Black Planet. I'd love to get your perspective on what you thought about that move specifically, because I think that at least from the response on social media, a lot of her fan base and a lot of folks on Black Twitter and elsewhere were very excited about the fact that she chose that as a strategy for branding. Well, I, 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 I'm so proud of both Beyonce and Solange on how they think outside of the box and are not box in thinkers and think that you have to do it a certain way. Uh, and, and that's what you see by both of them. That's what you see. So we saw by Solange, uh, not just with that move with Black Planet. Uh, I was hopeful a lot of people at first were saying that she had bought Black Planet. I was going, yes. But uh, what, what, what you're seeing is just thinking outside of the box, box approaching uh, marketing, approaching concepts uh, in a different way. The uh, entertainment industry, culture, all is evolving. And what we're seeing is certain artists and some artists are uh, evolving way ahead of others. And that's what we've seen with Solange. There's also an element of nostalgia marketing as well that I could see being applicable with Black Black Planet, but also something that is very top of mind for a lot of artists. And I could see that being an intentional push from her as well. Well, you, you're absolutely right. I, uh, I just, uh, I just, you know, it's just so interesting to me how both Beyonce and Solange uh, approach their artistry uh, and, and also uh, in some ways even approach their market marketing differently uh, because they have two different audiences. Uh, Solange has a, a, a much younger audience, uh, still part of that hipster, uh, you know, kind of society, that cool kid. Um, and, and then Beyonce has a more global audience. So it's just the approach to both of those are different. They understand it. Both of them clearly understand their audience. And I'm proud of their marketing strategies. Yeah, it's been brilliant to watch from from afar. And even when I think back to the days of thinking back to Destiny's Child specifically, some of the deals and the movies that Beyonce was put in, whether it was the Austin Powers movie or the or Carmen or things like that, it seemed as if not only was it a way to extend herself in the early days, but it very much solidified what that era of her was and 
can you talk a little bit about not only the deals that you put together, but what those deals helped Beyonce do in that point in her career? Well, I think to give a little context, this is my 26th year in the music industry. But when I came on and came into the industry, I came from corporate America. I had uh, worked with three major corporations, Xerox in the medical division, uh, Philips selling MRI and CT scanners, and Johnson & Johnson being a neurosurgical specialist. And I did corporate America for 20 years in sales and marketing. So I had a different background coming into the industry. I saw the music industry differently. I saw it as entertainment, branding, and endorsement. Uh, that's the industry I saw getting into, not just records. And I think for a long, long time, uh, the industry was just about selling records rather than selling a brand and building a brand. And so we did some very strategic things like, for example, uh, L'Oreal. You would see Beyonce in a L'Oreal commercial, but you would also hear her music in the commercial uh, because L'Oreal's marketing budget was 25 times that of Columbia Records marketing budget for, for her. So we always strategically, as we launched albums, strategically, as we had tours, always had corporate strategic partners, Pepsi. Pepsi, you've seen all the Pepsi commercials. Uh, L'Oreal, you've seen all of L'Oreal. We can talk about um, American Express, Mercedes, Nintendo. We can go on and on. We we actually did some 25 endorsement deals uh, over those 20-some years. Well, that's impressive, and especially so because a lot of what you did, now, did back then is – very much been more of the norm for how up and coming artists today are starting to think early on. So a lot of that success that we've seen her master now, you can feel that trace back to all those deals that you had mentioned. I'll give you another example. You know, we, we, we really uh, praise how Beyonce put out um, Lemonade album and just out of a vacuum one day launched it and then had the company visual album with it. Well, you know, we did that years ago with Walmart, where we had a video anthology for Destiny Shaw uh, that was exclusive to Walmart. We also had a Beyonce uh, anthology with Walmart that was exclusive. So, you know, hopefully, and we have to remember that um, when, when Beyonce and Kelly and Michelle uh, were initially in Destiny's Child, they were only 15, 16 years old. So at that age, they were focused on artistry and not on the business. But they grew up in a business family. So hopefully those hackamans uh, is, is some of the driving force behind them today. And on that note, it would be good to get your thoughts and perspectives on the Destiny's Child musical. Can you talk a little bit about your vision and what your goals are for the musical? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, we announced it. Uh, we looked to, um, in February, uh, to start in Houston with, with the musical, the Destiny's Child musical. And it's, it's a musical, uh, and the story is told from my perspective. Uh, my partner is Chikarius Johnson, who is... Uh, uh, one of the, the great uh, playwrights of today. 
and and uh, where we are right now is we're still in the uh, stage of writing the script. Uh, as soon as we we finish with that, we'll certainly let the, the ladies review it, uh, give any feedback if they have it, and then we'll begin casting here. Probably I'd say top of September, uh, and then we'll start mounting the show uh, again to uh, uh, have it start in Houston in February. When you mentioned giving the ladies an opportunity to review it, of course, Beyonce, Kelly, and Michelle, but does that also include the past members? No, no. It, it, it just uh, includes the current members of Destiny's Job. Is there any particular message or goal that you ideally want to get across with, I know the script is still in works, but is there a specific message that you want the audience to walk away with? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. Uh, one is, again, being strategic. Um, I have my fourth book that will accompany this musical, which is Destiny's Child, The Untold Story. Uh, I, I will author that book and almost finish with it, quite frankly. It'll be over 300 pages. Uh, and then we have Destiny's Child's first unreleased album uh, that they recorded in 1992. Um, I believe in 92, Beyonce would have been, well, she'd been 11 years old because she's born in 81. So, so you know, we, we look to put those three products out around the same time. But there's a lot of, uh, and I don't want to give it any of this away, but I, I'll just tease, uh, you know, over this starting in 1992, that's when they went on Star Search, um, you know, Beyonce and Kelly... They've been doing this a very long time and at a very young age. And it's been so many members in Destiny's Child even before, you know, it started out girls' time and then girls' time became the dolls. And then the dolls became something fresh. Then something fresh became cliche. Then cliche became destiny. Uh, then uh, we had to do a cease. We got a cease and desist letter because there's a girl group, gospel girl group in Mississippi named Destiny, uh, and that's when I named the group Destiny's Child, but it will take you through that journey of each one of those different names, uh, all of the challenges, all of the changes, uh, even even talk about some uh, a death that occurred, uh, but um, it'll be a lot, you'll walk away uh, hopefully, uh, you'll walk away with a clear understanding of the evolution of Destiny's Child. Uh, you'll get a clear understanding of the behind-the-scenes roles of Destiny's Child and some of the the challenges that the ladies had and how they overcame those challenges and unified. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, have it all wrong, and they say, well, you know, Destiny's Child broke up. No. Destiny's Child has never broke up. They retired. They didn't break up. When you break up, it's because of trauma. Uh, but when you retire from a company, you can always go back. And hopefully we'll see them come back one day with at least a tour. That would be dope. And that sounds great. As someone that has grown up following them, I'm very excited to um, see how it comes together and hopefully be able to watch it when it comes through. 
the, the girls benchmarked a whole lot of things in the music industry. You know, even with No, 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 it was the first time that somebody yeah. put a remix on an album. You know, we used to not put remixes on an album. We just sent it to radio to extend their life at radio. You know, when the girls got into uh, as a girl group, most girl groups were wearing baggy jeans and boots. And then, bam, Destiny Child come with this glamour and glitz. Uh, the harmonies, you can almost trademark their harmonies. You know when you hear their harmonies. Uh, so there's a, a whole lot of benchmarks that I'm proud to to say that Destiny's Child and, and Kelly Michelle and, and Beyonce and Solange and a lot of my some of my other artists have done. One of the topics that you've talked about a few times in reference to both Beyonce's career and Destiny's Child has been the topic of colorism. And I'm curious if that will be a theme that we'll hear about or we'll see about in the musical. I know not only among friends, but in popular culture, a lot of people have thought about Kelly Rowland's career and her spotlight and whether or not that was impacted by colorism. And if so, how much? Uh, If you follow me as an author, you know that my second book was Racism from the Eyes of a Child. Uh, which talks about me growing up in in Alabama in the 50s and never going to a, a black school until my junior year of college. Uh, but in that book, Racism from Eyes of a Child, I talk about colorism uh, and how even in Mexico and India and all around the world, shaded differences of our skin hue from being a darker black to a, 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 a browner black uh, get treated differently. Typically, a lighter skin black uh, in America is uh, considered more affluent, has a better job uh, than a darker skin black. And that's the colorism that I'm talking about. And in the music industry, I, I uh, when I taught Texas Southern for eight years, um, one of my classes actually did research on this. So it's no guesswork, it's research. Uh, when you think about it, you can't name in the last 25 years someone of Kelly Rowland's complexion that had a top 40 radio hit. You can't, you can't, you can't think of anybody. Uh, and why is that? And and when you look at record labels and you look at, you know, these are white folks that run these record labels, and they have a perspective of colorism, and they have a perspective of of shades of, of, of black. Now, fortunately, that's changing today, uh, but it has existed in the past, and it still in some way exists today. Right. I would agree with that. I do think that things have gotten better recently, but it, there is still a lot of work to be done. On a different note, I know that you recently have a deal underway in cryptocurrency. Love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, you know, we'll be announcing, I was hoping to be able to announce today, but the deal is not quite done, so I don't ever believe in talking about something until both parties have signed a contract. But we're we're working on a deal for hip-hop cryptocurrency, Um, and that's about all I can say today, but it will be in the hip-hop community uh, where we launched this. Nice. That's what's up, giving us the empowerment to own the cryptocurrency. That's what it's about. 
Well, that's what the what the future is. Uh, you know, again, a lot of folks don't even understand uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology and what that's all about. But again, my brother, I tell you, I have to stay current on all this stuff. So uh, I'm up on it, and uh, that's where the future is going to be. And and you know, those that get in uh, at the beginning are the are be the ones that will flourish and and really have the advantage. Uh, sometimes we wait way too late to to educate ourselves and get involved in new technology, and you know, just like cannabis will be the ne- the next thing to invest in. When did you first get in on crypto? Um, about a year and a half ago uh, is when I first got involved with it. Uh, we we are involved in a number of ways. Uh, but uh, it's a technology that intrigues me. You know, we still have a hurdle to go with the federal government. You know, the, uh, you know they're they're fightful about this currency and how it can maybe overshadow you know the paper the paper currency that we have today. But it's our future. And if you look around the world and you 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 see uh, how this technology and how people are becoming multi multi millionaires by getting into it early. Right. I remember, I think it was about a year and a half ago when Bitcoin had blown up and had surged to over 20,000. And that's when everyone was rushing to get in. And I remember I had a few friends yep. that were pushing me to be like, hey, hey, come on, let's get this, let's get this. And I eventually got in, but like anything, a little bit later than you would have wanted to. But I think it's, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm saying. Exactly what I'm saying. You get it. So with that, we'd love to move into our lightning round of questions. So it's going to be a mix of questions from me, but also a few questions from the Trapital audience as well. So I love the name Trapital. I'm sure you got that from Capital, right? I did. So yeah, so it's a mix of Trap and Capital. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> it's you. It's funny though because a lot of this is, of course, cultural. But you meet the folks that are like, "Oh, love the name." They'll tell me they love it even before they hear it, and then you meet the other folks that'll say, "Wait, what is this torpedo trap?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I can explain it, but we need to They're at the back of the bus. They're at the back of the bus, they'll be okay. There's been a popular question that's been going around. Would you rather have dinner with Jay-Z and pick his brain, whether you're getting business insight or you're getting access to his network, or would you rather have $50,000 cash? And it has sparked a very interesting debate, as I said, on Twitter and several other places where folks are essentially trying to place the value on the opportunity of what they think they can get from uh, dinner with Jay-Z. Would you rather sit down and have dinner with your son-in-law or would you rather have $50,000 cash? I've done both. So (laughs) (laughs) I've already done both. But if I was, uh, you know, I, I think the answer to that is, is really basically who who you are and where you are in your life. Uh, you know, for some people, uh, that would be a real opportunity to be able to sit down with him and understand and pick his brain because I think he could share a, a lot of value. Um, and so I think that would be a real opportunity for some people. Where others 
might be at a place of their life that uh, they might perceive that there's nothing they can learn. Uh, if anything, uh, they might be giving him knowledge. And so they would want that 50000 So I, I think that uh, it's according to where you are in your life. Do you want to know my answer is? Which one? What would be your answer? So I said the $50,000. Here's my rationale. Jay-Z, from my perspective, have get, has given us free game for a number of years. He's written books. Books have been written about him. And with my work with what I do at Trapital, I studied and reviewed these. And looking at those and his business deals, I feel like I have a fairly decent understanding of how he might think about potential opportunities or how he assesses things. And a dinner itself doesn't necessarily have promise of network or promise of opportunity and all those things. If anything, it would be, you know, more just dope to be able to, you know, break bread. And with that being said, with where I am right now with my own business and what I know that I could do with $50,000, that would be where I would do that. would be the decision I'd make right now. And that's why I say it's according to where you are. Again, I'm an educator. For 10 years, I, I, I taught you know, at HBCUs. I'm teaching at Prairie View this next semester. Uh, to a college student who might be getting a degree uh, in entertainment, uh, that would be a real opportunity for them. And the $50,000, I think, would not be the, the answer I would hope. I would hope they would want to have that opportunity, sit down with an icon, learn what they could. With It doesn't guarantee uh, a potential of anything, but at least it's the opportunity. And shame on you if you don't seize on an opportunity and be prepared for that opportunity. Exactly. Michael from San Francisco wants to know, with the amount of branding partnerships there are today, you could do a traditional endorsement deal, you could do an equity deal where you're an investor, you can do a JV, you could launch your own brand. Do you feel like there's any preference in how you would evaluate these or if you are trying to launch partnerships, how you would look at these? I don't do anything today, I'm fortunate. I'm grateful and I'm blessed that I don't do one damn thing that I don't want to do. If I didn't want to do this interview, I'd just say, you know what, I don't want to do that damn interview. And I wouldn't even hesitate. I don't do anything that I don't do because I live my passion every day. Uh, and that's to educate and to motivate and, you know, entrepreneurship and, and the music business, the business side of it. So I, I get to do that. Uh, so for me, I, I just... I just wouldn't do anything. I, 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 and that's not what I want to do. What I enjoy doing today is lecturing, public speaking, authoring, writing books. Uh, you know, we're about to, we're going through right now 30 years of content that we are looking to build strategic partnerships so we can do documentaries. And, and that's what I'm excited about today. Kit from Seattle wants to know. What's the most important step you took to make Beyonce's brand aspirational? Well, it, it the, the most important step that I took was going back to schools, first of all, when I got into the music industry so I could, from an academic standpoint, understand it better. It didn't mean that I knew it. It just gave me an academic 
definition of it. Then I went to as many seminars as I could where I could begin to network with people in the music industry. So that was the start for me. And then secondly, having a mentor in the music industry uh, that mentored me to groom me one day to be an executive and to understand uh, the nuts and bolts and every aspect of the music industry from a worldwide perspective. Um, that's the other thing. My corporate America prepared me for a worldwide perspective. Uh, most people look at the music industry just from America, but I never did. I always looked at it from a global standpoint. So those are the things that prepared me. It's my corporate background, my educational background, uh, getting the knowledge by going to seminars, humbling myself to say I don't know something, and, and finding the answer uh, and getting the answer. Often we, our pride won't, and our ego won't allow us to say we don't know something. Brady from Boston wants to know, what advice would you give managers who are trying to balance the business aspirations of the group act versus the individuals within a group? Well, very good question, first of all. Groups are very difficult. I, um, I've managed two male groups. Um, and I've managed about six girl groups, uh, and and the girl groups are much much harder because you you deal with different dynamics uh, than you do with uh, male groups. But there's no I in team; it's we. So first of all, you have to build this culture of teamwork, uh, and everyone has to buy into their role on the team. Uh, I'm a I'm a Warriors, Golden State Warriors fan. Everybody on that team has a specific role that they play, and they buy into it. And 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 on a in a group, it's the same. You know, you're gonna have someone's your lead singer, someone's gonna be your second lead singer, someone's gonna be the spokesperson, someone is gonna just play an overall dynamic role to keep peace and harmony. Everybody has a role that they play. You have to identify those roles and have a buy-in from the members. Of that role because the other thing I learned as a manager and I have to learn this the hard way a lot of things uh, you know from mistakes and failures opportunity to grow not a reason to quit I didn't realize until years ago that if you're gonna manage a group let it be a odd number never an even number mm. never have four members have three members or five members but not four because when you have an even number, you can never, often it's difficult to have a consensus on anything. So that, that's free knowledge I just gave. Free knowledge that I had to learn the hard way. We'll share that back with them. This is free game from Matthew Knowles, everyone. Listen up. You went through a few different names, as you mentioned, for Destiny's Child. There was Girls' Time, as I think many of the people that listen to uh, Beyonce's album is known. Cliche, something fresh. Do you think Destiny's Child would be Destiny's Child if they were named one of those other names instead? It took me years to convince Beyonce that she she didn't have to anymore do artwork, that she could just put Beyonce on an album and people would buy it. Because nobody was buying artwork. Cause, you know, artists sometimes think the artwork is important. But once you branded something, uh, it's really about the name uh and it's about branding that name. So if you had the same talent 
and you did the same branding efforts, yeah, it would have been the same. The name wouldn't have made a, a difference. I, I think it's all about the artistry, the songs, uh, the ability to perform, uh, the team that you have supporting it, and their knowledge and, and strategy, uh, and then branding that name. Uh, I can think of who would ever thought Fufu Fighters would be a, a, a name, or uh, I can name a lot of other names that you would, huh? You know, but they were very successful. No, that's Who'd true. Who thought Earth, Wind, and Fire would be a great name? <laughs> you know, well, Earth, Wind, and Fire, okay. But they had a narrative that they built with that. Uh, and it's also about, and in, in branding, you create a narrative that makes it make sense. It'd be interesting to see what the Foo Fighters themselves would think about that. But no, I do think that more than anything, it's the group themselves that makes it happen. Is there any artist right now coming up or that's young in their career that you're looking at and you say, they got it. They are managing their career best from a branding perspective, their content, everything. Who are you looking at that's like, they got it? That's a really good question. I, uh, I, don't, I don't keep up as much as I do, as much as I used to. Uh, but I, I can say that... Um, you know, I, uh, a challenge that I see that's happening today is microwave success. Uh, and that microwave su- success is coming from social media, uh, you know, and YouTube. and You know, it's just microwave and the foundation hasn't been built yet. And what I'm beginning to see is that you see people that are very, very high today. And then uh, a year later, you know, we, we don't know about them anymore. We don't hear about them anymore. And that's because they haven't put the foundation together. Uh, no differently than building a house and you know, building it in three months and not having a, a foundation at all. Uh, a storm comes by and it blows the house down. And the same thing happens in this, in this music industry. Right. These artists really need to have a foundation. And I think with social media can be just as, and I'm just with social media, but with streaming as well, it can be just as easy to get that rise, but sustaining that is a whole nother thing. It's many steps to being an artist. You know, it's, it's not just the ability to rap or sing. That's a part of it. Uh, but that's, you've got to be able to replicate on the stage what you can what you do in a studio it's got to sound the same Uh, you've got to be able to entertain people Uh, that's different than singing or rapping entertaining someone Uh, there's a a lot of wonderful great artists that weren't the best singers in the world but they sure hell knew how to entertain Uh, i give an example you know i madonna exceptional entertainer. I don't know if she's one of the greatest singers of all times. No, she's a good example of that. Do you have a top five for top hip-hop artists? So I was a Biggie Smalls fan. fan. Okay. Uh, Jay-Z. Um, Nas, because I, I uh, actually managed Nas for a year. That's uh, right. So Nas would be would be one. Uh, let me see. I had to go way back before your day. The last poets. I bet you're not even familiar with them, are you? I'm not. 
<laughs> you got to go back and get that. The last poets. Uh, All right, you got to do some homework to do. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I love, uh, gosh, well, who's my artist? I got to ask my wife. Who's, you know, my, my favorite artist that I love, Gina? Uh, uh, Q-Tip. Q-Tip. Okay, nice. I'm surprised there are no Houston artists made the cut. That's a different kind of, that's a Southern rap thing. Uh, it's a different kind of vibe for me. Was there anything else that you wanted to plug for our listeners and readers? Hey, you know, the thing about it is knowledge is power. Um, if you have a little knowledge, you have a little power. If you have a, a lot of knowledge, the world is ours. So I, my thing is to educate yourself um, and, and stop making emotional decisions because the moment you make a, an, an emotional decision, you lose. And put the ego on the side because my definition of ego, ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. And we have a lot of people with egos. We need to set those aside. Lastly, live your passion. Because when you live your passion, you don't work a day in your life. You, you are energized. You can't wait to the next day. And you're excited. And a lot of people don't live their passion. They live, live somebody else's passion. My mama, my mama, you do this. They want me to go to college. They want me to do this. They want me to be there. Uh, my boyfriend, my, my husband, live your passion. That's my advice. And uh, lastly, you can go to my website, MatthewKnowles.com, or Mr. Matthew Knowles is my handle, social media. Um, you can find out what I'm doing. But I've enjoyed this conversation. You had some very, very, very good questions. Uh, oh, thank so you. I want to compliment you on that. Appreciate that. Appreciate I'm taking my wife to dinner because she's looking at me cross-eyed. We're here in New York, and it's... <laughs> 10 minutes to 8, so I'm out, brother. <laughs> hey, we'll not hold you to it. Matthew Knowles, it's been a pleasure. All right, have, have a great evening. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thanks again to Matthew Knowles for a great podcast episode. He definitely gave me some homework to do. Hopefully, y'all got some stuff to do too. And hopefully, you enjoyed this conversation. To stay up to date between Trapital episodes and get all the content it has to offer, join our email list. Go ahead and text TRAPITAL to 345-345 and you will get the free weekly article that I write that is a deep dive on one topic in hip-hop business and strategy. I also write additional content during the week for a paid membership. So go ahead, become a member, join the vision of elevating the discussion on hip-hop business and strategy. That's why TRAPITAL was started and that's what we're going after. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please, please, please help spread the word. You can go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Those early reviews early on can make a big difference in the momentum. So let's continue pushing the vision and let's keep on elevating the discussion. Thanks, y'all. See you next time.